looking forward, guys, to uh, this series and just an introduction uh, to this. We are, I, I hope that this series is going to be applicable to every single one of us. And, and here's the thing, I know that it will. Because what we're going to be looking at is really just a lot of, of, of Christian character um, truths from the Word of God. That honestly, they apply to every single relationship. And I think it was uh, uh, Paul David Tripp who said in his book, What Did You Expect? He pointed out, he said that, that many times we make the mistake, like with couple counseling, marriage counseling, that we go immediately just to those marriage passages in the scripture. He's like, now those are great. But he said, I think a lot of times we miss some really important key truths for all relationships because what makes those relationships great is when we follow God's ways and follow God's word, when we see the Holy Spirit of God changing us, sanctifying us, making us more holy, making us more like him. And if you, if, if, if you and if I are experiencing that, then we won't help but, but have better relationships with the people in life. And, and particularly, we're talking about in, in marriage. So I hope this is applicable. I know it will be applicable to every one of us. Um, and so some of the things that we're going to be talking about are if it's in the context of dating, right? There's going to be some things, man, those are some red flags, run away, right? But I don't want you, if you're in marriage right now, to think, oh, red flag, I'm out. Because I think a lot of times people give up way too soon, way too soon in, in a marriage. And, and so, uh, but, but that being said, like, I want to look at, uh, at a particular scripture. We're just going to look at a couple verses tonight, but I think will be applicable to those that are single, uh, to those that are married. Um, but, but not only that, um, these are truths, um, these are truths that we need to be teaching to our children, that we need to be teaching to our grandchildren. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, the kids have stuff going on downstairs. The some of the teens are involved in helping, uh, really, really wish like they could be up here for this series. Um, you know, but a lot of them are helping. A lot of them are, are down there, have involvement somehow. Um, but parents, um, you could have them listen to this and write a paper on it. That's what my oldest daughter is going to be doing, writing a paper on this sermon. What did you get from this? And uh, th these are, and, and, and all kidding aside, like these are things we need to be teaching to our children now in, in middle school and high school. And are they re ready for this committed, exclusive relationship? Absolutely not, right? But as they start interacting with the opposite sex, as they start getting to know one another and observe and spending time together, these are things that we should see developing in them personally. And these are also some things that they should be, we should be teaching them that they need to be looking for. Because at that time, and, and really at any point in dating, at any point in dating, those are things that you want to see. Those are things that you want to be aware of. Because let's just be honest, when you're in a dating relationship, you tend to not see certain things. Certain things that everybody else around you sees. But sometimes, sometimes we can be blinded to those things. And so we want to be aware. We want to be prepared. And the focus on this is going to be this. Becoming the right person. 
becoming the person that's going to be a good spouse. And if you are married, allow the Spirit of God to continue, uh, continue producing these things in your heart and in your life. Becoming the right person, not just being obsessed with finding the right person. Because here's this myth that so many people believe. That if I find the right one, all these problems go away. All these character flaws that I have, if I just find the right one, they're, they're, they're gone. And, and, and then we realize, we kind of chuckle at that and we realize, no, like it, it actually just reveals some of those things. You ever heard somebody maybe in frustration say, well, I wasn't like that before I was married. Well, no, you were. You were. There were just no witnesses, right? And now some of those things are being they're being um, brought to light. And so instead of just this focus and this obsession with finding Mr. Right or finding Mrs. Right, it's be that person that God wants you to be. And as you're becoming that person, many times that's going to determine the people you, that you're going to meet anyway. It's going to determine the crew that you run with, the people that you're with, the circle of people that you, uh, that, that, that you surround yourself with. If you are someone that's pursuing Christ, following Christ, that has a desire for God, desire for righteousness, then you know, there's, you're probably going to be looking for that in other people and you're probably going to be hanging with people that want the same thing, like-minded people. I just had a conversation with, with a couple of people tonight. They talked, they used that phrase, being around like-minded people. That's important. That's really, really important at any stage in our life. So there's that myth of, well, if I just find the right one, all these character flaws are going to disappear. All of these things and all of these problems go away. But what we know is that that's actually not the case, right? So it's not just about finding the right one. It's about being the right one. It's about allowing the spirit of God to transform us and change us to being who God calls us to be. That's called sanctification. God is making us holy, making him more like himself. There's another myth that says, well, if you just make that commitment, you make that promise, then all of a sudden you're going to be capable of all of these things. But that's not true. Promising doesn't make you capable. It just makes you accountable, right? Like, like you can sign up to run a marathon, but just putting your name on that dotted line doesn't make you capable. What makes you capable is your preparation. Your preparation. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. That preparation for those that are dating or for those of us that are married that we don't become uh, complacent. So start now by preparing who God wants you to be. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because here's the thing. For so many of us, for so many in our culture, we have um, just a misunderstanding of what true love is. And here's what the very words of Christ. What Jesus said is this. That, that all men will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Jesus talked about. And right as he was sacrificing. Right as he was humbling himself. Washing his disciples feet. I mean these jokers were arguing about. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus response is. He takes the lowest task. That only a, the lowest servant would do. He washes their feet and then he tells them this, that all men are going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus talks about hanging all of the commandments and all of the law on loving God and loving your neighbor. 
He says, if you truly love God, if you truly love your neighbor, well, you're going to fulfill the law. Why? Because if you love God, you're not going to have idols. You're going to worship God and God alone. If you truly love your neighbor, you're not going to harm your neighbor. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to kill your neighbor. You're not going to, you're not going to cause harm to your neighbor. So love, uh, true love is what we need in every relationship. That flows from the love God has for us, the love we have for God. And then that is manifest in how we love one another. And this is what the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is going to talk about. So chapter 13, it's right between... 12 and 14, right? Profound thought. But 13 is right in between chapter 12 and 14, where he's talking about all these spiritual gifts. And, and he says, greater than all these spiritual gifts, church at Corinth, is charity or it's love. That this is what makes these gifts meaningful. That your love for others, this is what makes these relationships work. So here's the question. What is love? Is it just this emotional feeling that we have? And I would propose that no, it's actually much more than that. Paul is going to talk about that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, charity or love, it suffereth long and is kind. He says, it doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt or boast itself. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It doesn't behave itself unseemly or doesn't behave itself um, in a dishonoring way. It doesn't seek her own. It's not self-seeking. Isn't easily provoked or easily angered. It doesn't think evil. It says it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but in truth. And he goes on and on. And we're just going to look at a couple of those verses tonight and talk about what is love. So again, this is what is God through the Holy Spirit developing in us? What are things if you're if you're single, if you're, or, or maybe you're single and dating, or you're, you're single, maybe you just came, came out of a really, really um, heartbreaking breakup, and you just don't even, you know, maybe you're confused and just a little, bit, um, a little bit uncertain of what that next step is. And so I would encourage all of us, no matter where we're at, is that we would ask, are these things true of me? Not in a perfection sense. But do we see these things in the Holy Spirit developing these things in us? And then once we see that, if you're, if you're single, if you're dating, are these things that are important to me to not only be, but to see in someone else? As we're teaching our children and talking about how to interact with others and, and specifically of the opposite gender. Because, by the way, that's God's plan for marriage as a man and a woman in a marriage covenant. That's God's plan. That is what we see clearly in, in the scripture. And so the question is, are these the kind of things that we're looking at? But we have to know what is it? What is love? Well, the first thing Paul says this, that charity or love, he says that it is, it suffereth long. In other words, love is patient. Love is patient. It's not something that's pushy. That if you truly love someone, you're patient towards them. You're giving them the space that they need. A huge red flag, if you're dating, is someone that is always pushy. Someone that's always making you feel pressured and uncomfortable. If you're dating and you see that as a habitual pattern in someone, you need to run. 
And if, if that is you, if that's a characteristic of you, then you need to change. You need to repent of that. Why? Because love is patient. Love isn't pushy. Love wants you the, or the other person to feel comfortable. Here's a huge red flag. Someone that's always dealing in ultimatums. Have you seen that? Maybe there's an argument. Maybe there's a conflict and it's respond by this time or else. Or someone that gives an ultimatum of who you can be with, who your friends can be. Choose me or choose your family. Choose me or choose these friends. Look, Paul says this about, about love. He says love is Love is patient. Love isn't pushy. It suffereth long. It's a dangerous person who is a demanding person. And here's the thing. They hold everyone to a standard that they themselves don't want to be held to. That's someone that's impatient. That's someone that is hypocritical. Again, a huge red flag if they're making demands. Impatient people, by the way, they don't get and can't get along with others. They're always in relational conflict. Here's a question that you need to ask if you're dating. The person that you're dating, who are their friends? How, how do they interact with others? H how are they in those relationships with other people? And that's why, again, especially like as our kids are younger, especially that middle school, that high school age, that's the time we want to teach them to be observing the character of people and developing that character in them. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God, right? But, but it's also our responsibility to train and to teach this. In marriage, patience is this. It's being flexible and gracious towards one another. Now, none of us, none of us have arrived at that. And all of us, especially maybe certain seasons of life, we're really going to struggle with that. But know this, that love, love is something that's not pushy. Love is something that gives people space that is honoring towards someone. Patience in marriage is being flexible with one another. So I ask you this question, is that something that, and by the way, that's a fruit of the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit developing this in you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit for, to, to sanctify you in this area? Are you a patient person? Do you, are, are you showing patience towards the relationships in your life? Again, if you're dating or maybe you will be dating, this is something that you should want to be. This is something you should want to become. But it's also something that you need to observe and look. Patience. But not only is love patient, we see this. Paul says that love is kind, right? Now, this doesn't just sound like super romantic or anything like that. Oh, patience, kindness. But, but this is love in action. This is more than words. This is more than just chocolate and flowers and nothing wrong with that because that's a way we'll talk about you can show honor to someone by, by, by giving gifts and giving things to them. But nothing wrong with that. But, but love's more than that. Love's more than that. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is considerate. Consider the, consider the other person's wants and needs. 
Kindness, this is someone that compliments you, that shows respect to you, that speaks kindly to you, isn't rude to you. Now, many times people think, well, this is a weakness. And especially for guys, we can think, well, this is a weakness if I'm kind. But being kind actually shows great strength. Being kind, being, this is being the kind of person that other people like to be around. How do, how do you treat others? How do you, maybe the person that you're dating, maybe the person that your kids are going to show interest in, are they a kind person? Again, not in a sense of like perfection and they never do anything wrong. Because sometimes people, they hold this incredibly like high standard of perfection <laughs> that it's like they're too picky. Like they're way too picky. It's like, okay, don't be like that, right? Don't be picky. But what we're talking about is, is habitual things. Those of you, those of you that have adult children, grown children, I would dare say many of you have seen this with relationships in their life. You saw some of the red flags. You saw some of the red flags. Maybe tried to warn them. Maybe they listened. Maybe they did it. But, but you saw some of these things. And I think we would all agree. It's like if you could go back, if you could go back, you would emphasize these warnings. You would emphasize the importance, the importance of patience, the importance of, of kindness, how you treat someone else, how someone else treats you. Because here's the thing, how that person treats others is eventually how they will treat you. How does that person treat others? Are they only kind when it's a in a manipulative way when they just want to try to get something from someone, but when they have nothing to gain, they treat people horribly. They just use it as a means to an end. But here's the thing. People that use kindness as a means to an end, in the end, they're mean because it's not out of a genuine heart. Their kindness is just to manipulate and use people. And so, again, I ask us this. Is this something that you see God developing in you, in your marriage? Are you kind to one another? And, and many times, again, I'm not saying there's not like a fun, you know, sarcastic, you know, tone. Again, like, you know your spouse and you know, like, if it, if it irritates them and ticks them off, don't do that. But, you know, look, some of you may be in your relate, that's your love language, right? Sarcasm. And, and, and it's not something that's offensive to one another. But here's the thing, though. Like, how are you treating your spouse? How do you speak to your spouse? What's the tone that you use? Is it always demeaning? Is it always a disrespectful tone that's putting down your spouse? Because sometimes it can not even matter what you say, but it's how you say it. It's just harsh. It's aggressive. It's abrupt. Kindness. Kindness. Here's a question, a convicting one for us as parents. When your kids are arguing with one another, when your kids are saying mean things or hurtful things to one another, ask them, is this how you see your mom and dad talk to each other? And if it is, maybe don't ask them that just yet, right? <laughs> Repent, treat each other kindly. But what kind of an example are we setting? Paul says this, that love, which by the way is greater than all of these other gifts. He says, well, love, here's what it is. Love is patient. It's not pushy. 
It gives people space. Love is not just patient, but love is kind. Thirdly, we see this love does not envy. Love does not envy. He says it envieth not. So what does this mean? Look, you can even become envious towards your spouse. Now, again, in this context here, Paul's talking about really all relationships. It's not just specifically in marriage. He's talking about relationships within the church. And you know, because we studied through Corinthians. This church at Corinth was crazy. These guys, this church was wild. This church had a lot of issues. Paul's talking about relationships in the church. And he says that love, which is greater than these gifts, it's not, it's, or it's, it's patient, it's kind. And then he says this, it doesn't envy. It wants good things for others. It's not, it doesn't have this unhealthy jealousy. And this is something that I see a lot in relationships. It's just this, this controlling aspect. This controlling aspect. And Paul says, look, love doesn't do that. Love isn't this unhealthy, controlling out of selfishness. And may I just interject here? <clears throat> Look, if you're married, you're committed to one another. You've said, right, in your vows that you're forsaking all others. So this isn't an excuse like, oh, well, I want to go, you know, flirt with people that aren't my spouse and, and, you know, hang out with people that I'm not married to and, and, and do all these things. And if my spouse, you know, ever brings it up, it's like, oh, you're just jealous. No, that's not what we're talking about here, right? That's not at all what we're talking about. But in dating, stay away from somebody that's super controlling. Someone that's super controlling. Here's a form of controlling Controlling is someone that changes plans at the very last minute. Maybe something you've been looking forward to for so long, but at the last minute, they'll change plans. At the last minute, at the last minute, they'll sabotage something that you've been looking forward to. Maybe they'll create an argument and it's just out of a, a heart that's manipulating and controlling. These are really important things we need to be teaching our kids. First of all, don't be like this person. Stay away from that. Why? Because that's not love. Love doesn't have that heart of envy and controlling where you don't want to see others succeed. Be happy. Be happy towards other people's success. Let other people feel good about themselves. Controlling is someone that wants to know where you are, who you're with, what you're doing, down to the very second. Like, you know, really, and again, I'm not talking about there not being accountability with husband and wife. But there's a, a very unhealthy controlling aspect. And you've seen that. And here's the thing. We see it clearly in relationships with people. But when they're in that, they either don't. Well, they won't see it. But if you're dating someone like that, it's not going to get better. Because saying I do doesn't make you capable. It just makes you accountable. But love doesn't do that. 
Sometimes, like in any relationship, maybe someone is bitter towards you and it comes from a heart they're envious of you. James talks about this. It says that there's, there's bitter envying and strife in your heart. Have you ever experienced that? Where, where you don't really know what it is. Like maybe you share good news with someone and you thought, certainly they're going to be happy. Certainly they're going to rejoice with me. I got this promotion or maybe you're expecting a child or maybe you're, you're in a, a relationship and you're going to get married. And, and instead of someone rejoicing with you, they're envious and jealous of you. And that's really unhealthy. And here's why. Because Paul says love doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. Love is... Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't envious. And then he says this, love isn't arrogant. Love isn't arrogant. He says it envieth not. It doesn't vaunt itself or, or puff itself up. Puff itself up. That's arrogance. Someone that always has to be in the center of attention. They can never let someone be the center of a, com a conversation. They're always arrogant and rude. Many times they're always the, the person that's always got to one-up someone else. Well, you did that, that? Well, oh, well, let me tell you about what I did. Let me tell you about that fish I caught. Let me tell you about that deer I should. Let me tell you about how much weight I can bench. That person that's always has to one-up. Well, Paul says, look, love, he doesn't puff itself up. It's not arrogant. That love is humble. The Bible talks often and many times in Proverbs, it talks about how that the proud will be brought low, but yet God honors those who are humble. Proverbs tells us this, that the root sin comes from a heart of pride. That pride, it's, it's by pride there comes what? Contention. Contention. Someone that's always in the center of conflict. Now, we've talked about this. Look, there's, there's such thing as, as being a godly troublemaker. When you stand for righteousness, there's going to be conflict. When you stand against evil, spiritually, physically, when you stand against evil, there absolutely is going to be conflict. And that's why we're told, be battle ready. Be ready for conflict. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is pride. It's someone that is always always in the middle of conflict this is a dangerous person and, and by the way i ask this and i ask it humbly but with our kids if we're seeing that there's like one common denominator with all these issues and drama and problems maybe it's our kid right maybe we need to help teach them more and train them more but but that arrogance and that pride is it's always someone else's fault it, it's this teacher. It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. Coach is an idiot, doesn't know what he's doing. It's, it's, it's this, this program or this team. And so what do we do? Prideful people are always on the run. They're always on the run. They're always moving from, from situation to situation. They're the kind that it's like they have the attitude, like there's just, you know, eventually... Eventually, those people, they just like, will we'll stop going to church altogether. And here's why. Well, there's no good churches out there. Now, look, there's times, 
There's times you need to leave a church if they're not preaching truth, if they're, you know, preaching things contrary to the word of God. It's absolutely appropriate, right? And again, that doesn't mean like we're not a cult. Doesn't mean you got to stay here forever. God might lead you to another place. I'm talking about people, though, that just have this habit of running. They have this habit of running always and many times, not all the time, but many times, many times it's because they're always in conflict. Always in conflict. Because Proverbs also tells us this, that a soft answer turns away wrath. But grievous or angry word, they stir up more anger. And what it's saying is this, that when you choose humility, you can diffuse a lot of things. That, that, that those, those that are spiritually mature, you know what they do? They can take something that potentially could be a huge issue and they can diffuse it. They can absorb the blows. But immature, spiritually immature people, they can take the slightest thing and blow it up. Now again, there are times, there are times we have to stand for righteousness. And people can label us whatever they want. They could say, you're arrogant and you're this. Well, no, we're going to just stand for the truth of the word of God. Amen. Like, call us what you want. But I'm talking about people that just want to nitpick. I don't like the way this was worded. I don't like that you didn't say this or you did say this. Many times, people that are always picking at the slightest thing, they're taking little things and just escalating it. By the way, that is a dangerous, dangerous person in relationships, in a church, in, in, in a dating relationship, in a work environment. Those are dangerous people. And here's the thing. Paul says this. Charity, love, doesn't act like that. Doesn't act like that. Just think about this for a moment. In our marriages, including myself in this, in our marriages though, how many times would we just avoid some of the fighting and the conflict if we are just humble about things? I'm not saying don't address things, don't talk about things. It's actually communication is a huge, huge thing in marriage. You ignore things and just don't bring it up. It's just going to build up and eventually blow up. So you have to communicate, but communicate in a humble way. Communicate in a honoring way, which I'm getting ahead of myself. But Paul says this, look, no, love or charity, it doesn't, it doesn't boast of itself. It doesn't, it doesn't vaunt itself. It doesn't impose their way and demand their way. No, love, love is humble. Love is humble. Again, these are things we see the Holy Spirit of God should be developing in each and every one of us. So in the context of dating and marriage, let's bring this back, back home. Okay, are these things God's developing in you? Are, are you becoming the person that God wants you to become? Or are you just obsessed with, well, I got to find the person that does all these things, but you're not really willing to, to examine your own heart and life. Is God developing these things in me? Are we putting those of us that are married, are we putting these things into practice? Are we preparing? Are we working on our marriage? Are we just complacent? And those that are dating, are you developing these things? Are you seeing some of these red flags in certain relationships? 
Again, that everybody else sees. But many times, you're blinded to it. Love isn't arrogant. <clears throat> Let's look at one more. We'll be concluded. It says, doth not, verse 5, doesn't behave itself in an unseemly or a dishonoring way. That love is not dishonoring. Love shows honor. Love shows honor. It doesn't behave in a rude way. It doesn't insult others. It doesn't make others feel insecure or belittled. That if you love someone, you're not going to constantly dishonor them. And again, keep in mind, when we're talking about these things, we're talking about habitual things. Because if we're all to be honest, like we failed in these areas. But love doesn't show dishonor. Love honors. Love honors. Love shows that respect. In dating, what does that look like? It means not causing someone else regret. Don't, you've heard this phrase, don't be someone else's regret. Because if you truly love someone, you're going to honor them. You're going to respect them. Honoring someone is treating them like they're more important than you. Treating them like they're more important than you. It shows respect. Here's a question that we need to ask our kids. Here's a question if you're dating. You need to ask yourself maybe about the person that you're dating or, or considering dating. Do they show honor and respect to people? Do they show honor and respect towards the authority in their life? Are they always in conflict with the authority? Are they always in conflict with other people? Are they always dishonoring? And I'll just say this. If you're in a dating relationship and you're constantly being dishonored, you're constantly being belittled, you're constantly being brought down, run from that. Run from that. Say, so, well, we love each other. Actually, no, I'm arguing that they don't love you. And that is exactly what Paul's saying. Look, if you love someone, you're not going to behave in a dishonoring way. Not going to behave in a dishonoring way. Girls, the guy who respects you will be one that will provide for you, that will protect you, that doesn't want to just get something out of you. But he truly respects you, truly honors you. Love shows honor. Wives, you can be devastating to your husband by not showing respect. Men, we can crush our wife by not honoring her, by not showing respect to her. So what does that look like? How do, we res how do we respect one another? How do we honor one another in marriage? Well, through our words. How we speak. Do we speak respectfully? Never use curse words. Never use harsh words. And not only what we say, but how we say it. You guys have heard me use this illustration before. I heard Andy Stanley years ago talk about that 
when his daughter was growing up, he said, um, and, and if he's being honest, like I really respect him for this, but maybe he was exaggerating a little bit, but he said, I never, he's like, I never raised my voice in anger towards my daughter. Again, if so, man, good for you, Andy, because <laughs> I have multiple times, like, but I'm working on it. But he said, I never raised my voice. And he said, here's why. That if she, when she grew up and got older, and, 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 and if a man raised his voice, if a man cursed at her or, or yelled at her, he said, I wanted that to seem so foreign to her. I wanted that to seem so appalling and shocking to her. He said, I never want her to accept that. Never think, oh, that's normal. That's just how you can be treated. And here's the thing. If you allow that, what happens is it keeps getting worse and worse. Don't allow yourself to be dishonored. And by the way, maybe in marriage you're saying, hey, I'm struggling with that. So what does that mean that I just take off? No, but, but you guys need to address that. You need some help. You need maybe godly people in your life to be able to, to, to speak into your life, to pray with. But more importantly than all of that, you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit and ask that God would, would change that. Why? Because love doesn't act in a dishonorable way. Our words, we can show honor or dishonor with our words. We can show honor or dishonor with our actions. Men, we should never be threatening or intimidating towards our wife. Really towards any woman for that matter. Don't, be, don't act in that way where, where you would ever, ever try to intimidate by strength or physical force. Peter talks about that. He says, showing honor to the woman, which is the weaker vessel. And, and again, that's talking about in physical strength. Doesn't mean a woman isn't capable or wise or smart. or not, That's not what he's talking about in the sense of that men just naturally... Right now, again, somebody always brings up this one exception of somebody they know that, you know, the woman is like strong and, you know, maybe like, the, you know, some of these professional women, UFC fighters. Okay, look, generally speaking, generally speaking, men are stronger than women. And so Peter says, look, show honor, Sh show respect to that weaker vessel. You can show honor through your words. You can show honor through your actions, not being intimidating, not being threatening. You can show honor by just showing preference to your spouse. You know, you, you guys have read and seen the, the, love, the five love languages and knowing how your wife, knowing how your husband, how they feel loved, and then doing those things. That's showing honor to them. That's showing honor to them by doing those things where they feel honored. And Paul says this, look, that, that's what charity, that's what love is. That's what love is. Love is, is showing honor. It's not acting in an unseemly or a dishonoring way. You can show honor by, by backing your spouse up. You know, you show dishonor when you're constantly undermining your spouse. And sometimes that can happen with kids, with our kids, where, 
where we'll undermine. Sometimes, like, we don't know, right? Kids are very crafty and can try to manipulate and go to the person. And, and we didn't, maybe didn't know they already talked to someone. But, but, but as parents, like, we need to be on the same page. We need to be on the same page, you know? I mean, especially if it's something important. Like, well, hey, your mother and I will discuss it. Not going to give you an answer right now to this really important thing that you are demanding an answer right now. If you're demanding an answer right now, it's probably going to be no. But discussing that, showing honor towards your spouse by including them instead of contradicting them, instead of not, uh, not backing them up. You can sometimes undermine one another. You know, you've probably heard this. Don't, don't correct, as husband and wife, don't correct one another in public. You know, maybe there's something you really need to discuss and address. Maybe, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of times I'm wrong. My wife's rarely wrong. A lot of times I'm wrong about something, but you know what I appreciate about it? It's like she doesn't undermine me in, in a dishonoring way. Again, that doesn't mean we can't bring it up. In fact, we need to discuss those things. Don't just let those things build up. Discuss them, but, but discuss them in an honoring way. Discuss them and even learn how to argue in a respectful way. In a respectful way. But I've, I've seen that more than once, guys. Where I'm trying to talk with a couple and it's like, like, I can't even get a word in edgewise. They're just yelling at one another and talking over one another. And it's like, listen, you are never going to be able to address these issues until you learn how to communicate with one another respectfully. Listen. Talk in a respectful way to one another. Back one another up. Don't always be correcting or nitpicking. Again, that's not all the time, women, but sometimes, you know, women maybe get that reputation. You're always nitpicking at things. Again, I've, I've probably done it myself too, though. So not just women, but don't do that. It's a dishonoring thing. Dishonoring thing. Honor each other also by your commitment, by our commitment to one another. Talked a little bit about this at the beginning. When you say, I do, you're committing to your spouse. So honor that. Honor that. Honor your spouse. Don't be flirting with that other person. Don't be sending that, that flirtatious text to someone that's not your spouse. Don't be getting overly friendly with that person at, at, at work. Don't, that's dishonoring towards your spouse. And we can honor one, one another by by showing that commitment towards one another. So in the context of dating, I have asked us this, I ask you this, are you an honorable person? Are you showing honor and in, in respect towards people in relationships? Are you allowing yourself to be disrespected? Again, I'm not talking about, you know, a one-time thing, but a, in a habitual way. You're always trying to excuse it and always trying to think, well, it's going to be different and things are going to change and run from that relationship and don't get back in it until you have seen genuine repentance. How do you know when there's genuine repentance? Time. Time. Not words that you want to hear, but how many times do we see that? Someone gets out of a horrible a dishonoring, abusive relationship. And then the promise, oh, it's going to be different. And they're right back in that. They're right back in that. Run from that. If you're married, 
and, and you feel like, man, my spouse is dishonoring, my spouse is not showing me that respect, well, you determine that you're going to be respectful, you determine that you're going to show honor, but then get help. Get help. And I'm not saying if, if, if you're threatened or in, in a harmful situation, not saying, oh, stay in it and work on it. It's obviously not the context that I'm talking about right now. But show honor to one another. Well, how do I do that? Well, we listed some things, but here's the challenge and we'll conclude with this. Talk to your spouse about this. Talk to your spouse about this. Here's some homework. Go home. Set up a time, and if, if, if you're not used to communicating with one another, I'm just going to warn you, it's going to feel really, really weird and awkward, right? But set up a, a, a set time where you're going to do this. Now, if you have great communication, communication just flows freely, then, then you'll be used to that. But regardless, here's some homework. Here's some homework. Talk to your spouse. Tell your spouse something that they do that shows you honor and let them know how much you appreciate that. This is words of affirmation, but it's also just simple gratitude. Say, well, I want to tell them all these things that I, they can do to make me feel honored. Okay, that, that's another step. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But show that appreciation. Communicate that. If your spouse does something, maybe it's something that's little, that's okay. But communicate that when you do that, I feel loved. I feel honored when you do that. I feel respected when you do that. And what will probably happen is it's probably going to open up more communication with one another. And you're going to be able to talk through those things. And maybe then even address, even address that are issues where you don't feel honored. Talk to one another. Talk to your kids about these things. You know, all, all joking aside, really it's, it's not too, it's really never too soon to start talking about these things. I mean, here's the thing, let's just be honest. For maybe the majority of you in here, and, and, and if you're married, you know, hey, praise God, it worked out great. You know, hopefully, hopefully it's a great marriage. And it worked out wonderful, but I'm sure some of these things would have saved you a lot of heartbreak. I'm sure some of these things would have maybe saved you a lot of pain or a lot of regret. And so here's my challenge that we talk with our kids about these things, that we talk with them, that we communicate with them about these things, about them becoming the right person, becoming these things, but then also that they can observe this in other people, that they can see more than just this, more than just this, like, you know, lovey-dovey emotional feeling. There's some other things I should be looking at more than just, oh, the first person that shows me interest and they're enamored and infatuated by that. Again, I get that. Some of that's just going to happen right at that stage in that age. But we want to teach our kids to be discerning. We want them to have godly wisdom. We want them to be able to see these things. 
We want to be able to walk with them and talk with them through some of these things. Because this age with, with again, I know there's every different um, age demographic, right, that's represented. But those that you have kids, especially as they're coming up in the middle school and in the high school, that those are crucial, crucial times. Those are crucial ages where we need to be having these conversations with them. Because that's what's called discipling our kids. We're teaching our kids. Because they are being discipled. They are being discipled. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of voices that they're listening to that aren't godly voices. There, there's a lot of influence that's out there. And so what I'm saying is this, like, there needs to be a voice of truth. There needs to be multiple voices of truth. And you're that voice. Hopefully they have more than one. Hopefully they have multiple voices of truth. But you are that voice of truth for your kids. For some of you, it's for your grandkids. For some of you, it's for your nieces and your nephews. For, for, for some of you, it's for those people that God has just placed in your life that, that come to you for advice and come to you for wisdom. The question is this, what is love? Well, we looked at a few things. We're going to look at more in a couple weeks. But Paul said this, that love, love is patient. Love isn't pushy. Love is, is kind. Love isn't envious. Love isn't arrogant. And love isn't dishonoring. Love shows that honor, shows that humility towards one another. So as we conclude, I'm going to pray in just a moment. But are you becoming these things? Is the Holy, better yet, is the Holy Spirit of God producing these? Are you surrendering and submitting to the Holy Spirit producing these things in you? And if you're dating, commit to being that person. And also, don't settle. Don't settle for someone that's not going to treat you with true love. And for those that have kids, those that have grandkids, those that have people that you're influencing them, May we teach them these things, that these are things we should be, and these are things we should look for. Let's